Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you all for joining me today. My guest is Erica Hartman. She is the Executive Director of Safe Place for Youth. Welcome to the show, Erica. Hi, Marcia. Thank you so much for having me. It is my pleasure at truly on, on so many levels. I just want you all that are listening to know that not only is Erica joining me today, but because we do live in close proximity to one another, she actually presented at our Rotary meeting, our Supply of Venice Sun, Sunrise Rotary meeting last week, because this is a crisis, and, and there are problems, but there are solutions, and we're going to, we're going to cover all of that. But before we do, before we get to, into talking about SPY specifically, I would just like you to just tell everybody a little bit about yourself so we get to know a little bit about you, Erica. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and thank you again. Um, as you mentioned, I'm the Executive Director of Safe Place for Youth, which is a youth homeless services organization. Um, I'm a marriage and family therapist by background, native Angelino. I currently live in Los Angeles with my partner, our 17-year-old, and our three dogs. <gasps> three dogs and a 17-year-old. Yep, you have a full life. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, you know, I guess I had forgotten that you were a marriage and family counsel. That makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I'm. this is all about SPY. And for those of you that are listening, because oftentimes when people listen, they they multitask. I know I do. So I'm going to tell you that you can easily go to their website, which is simply safeplaceforyouth.org, and you will see their website. And I'll mention it again because a lot of what Erica will be talking about today has everything to do with what she does there. But I would, I'm curious, how did you get involved in this sector and line of work to start with? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, the path that led me to work directly in homeless services ultimately happened because I was witnessing the spread of homelessness and just this intense human suffering across L.A., and it became completely unbearable to me. Um, I started my career out providing therapy at a community clinic uh, where the majority of our clients were experiencing homelessness, and I just heard these very personal, painful trajectories that had caused folks to become homeless um, and in ways in which they were trying to cope with their living conditions. So early on in my career, I just started with this deep empathy and understanding of the unhoused community, uh, having heard so many personal stories. Um, and then from there, I went on to work in gang intervention with youth and juvenile justice, uh, the child welfare system, and became steeped in the issues and failed systems that were really pipelining youth to homelessness. And it's been just so inspiring to see how resilient youth are and their success stories are so uplifting. But we were just work, working constantly to, you know, try to mitigate these intractable systems. And it was just abundantly clear to me how these systems were failing children. Um, and so at the time, I was commuting from the east side of Los Angeles to the west side, and I just started seeing visible homelessness, you know, rapidly accelerating across our city. Um, and it started with a few off-ramps, on-ramps, underpasses, and just rapidly increased and suddenly it was everywhere. Um, and then because of my background, I think it was just so deeply painful that it became unbearable. And I just started feeling overwhelmed and powerlessness. And then at some point I just had this aha moment where not powerless and there's a role for everyone in ending homelessness. And what I could contribute was this background and skill set of working directly with folks in supportive services and advocacy. Um, so I started out working for a women, women's homeless organization uh, in the heart of Skid Row and became deeply connected to the work. And I had worked with SPY because they'd been a subcontractor providing pregnant and parenting services when I was working uh, for a child welfare agency. 
And the first time I visited, as soon as I stepped on the campus, I was just completely moved by the environment that our founder had created and the warmth and thoughtfulness uh, that had been put into every aspect of the organization. So fast forward six years when I was invited to apply for the ED position, it just brought everything together for me, and I knew this is where I was supposed to be. That's great, because when um, it was Allison Hurst, is that her name, that that's, that began yeah. this? And, and what year was yeah. that? That, uh, in 2011. 2011. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's so um, it's interesting. You know, take the, take COVID out of this just for a moment. Back to the days when we didn't have that, and people were at the beach, and people were out and about, and there was a, an enormous amount of homeless youth in the Venice area. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you saw that, you saw that, you saw that, you, you, you see it where I live at the parks and places where people are homeless and, you know, nobody wants to imagine that somebody doesn't have a place to live, doesn't have anything to eat and what do they do? And my experience was a lot of the homeless people that we saw when I was working with my friend Russell Buschetto and his son Cy and Sharehope um, USA, a lot of the homelessness mm. also had pets. Had, did you find that, that yeah. a lot of these uh, un- unhoused youth also had pets? Was, yeah, absolutely. Was, um, you know, I think that for a lot of young folks, their uh, you know companion animals, emotional support animals, really are their family, um, and for mm-hmm. many youth too, they're a source of protection. Yeah, it's it's sometimes it's the only place they give and receive love. It's it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Um. So I I can hear how you transition from what you were doing to where you are now. That makes total sense to me. So let's talk about safe place for youth, and the population you serve, and the incredible services that you provide. So let's let's talk about what that is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So Safe Place for Youth's mission is to empower young people experiencing homelessness to thrive by providing lasting community-driven solutions that address racial and social inequity. And we provide the gamut of housing and supportive services to young people who are ages 12 to 25, Um, all folks who are either experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness. So it really all starts with our street outreach team to build relationships with young people encourage them to come to our drop-in center where they can receive meals, showers, clothing, case management, mental health support, uh, be connected to shelter, uh, one of our transitional housing programs, um, or to education and employment. Um, so our case managers work to connect young people, uh, you know, through this, this hub. Uh, and, you know, we have a number of young people who complete paid internships with SPY, and most of them have gone on to be hired into uh, you know, permanent positions, uh, many of them at SPY, about 10% of our staff are former youth members. Um, and I really think that's part of what makes what we do so intentional and effective is that we have the input of the young people who've experienced homelessness um, and who've experienced our programs as part of designing them. Wow. So about 10% of your staff were formerly part of your program and have yeah. moved on to act you know that honestly i'm being straight that just gave chills down my body i mean i can i can mm. feel tears welling up in my eyes when i hear you say that because it's this it's the circle that you just that you've just described and mm-hmm. I, I just i just think that that is so remarkable but what one thing i wanted to ask you so you said that the your sort of your youth population is twelve to twenty five if I'm wondering this, perhaps someone else is also wondering this so this twelve year old this thirteen year old this this youth under the age of eighteen are they mm-hmm. not with their parents? Are they just literally out on the street? with nothing? They have no family connection at all? Yeah, as unfathomable as it is, uh, we do see unaccompanied youth as young as 12. Um, And it is really heartbreaking, and it is incredibly hard to navigate homelessness, but especially at that age. 
Wow. That 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 is that is that is really hard to imagine that there could be someone that young. Well, I'm I'm not saying I, I guess I'm I'm now I'm making an opinion here and maybe I'm I shouldn't be judging, but I guess I'm just thinking about what a twelve year old could do to to help themselves as opposed to someone mm-hmm. that was older. So the fact that you provide all of these services is is just remarkable. And and like I said, I I will certainly make sure that people know how to find you and how they can support you and the different things that that you provide. But that is what we're going to be talking about. Thank you. So you're welcome. So based on youth homelessness, what do you think are the root causes that start that to begin with? Yeah. Um, well, about 92% of youth who are experiencing homelessness report fragile social systems as the root cause of their homelessness. Um, they don't have a caring adult in their life who can provide them a safe place to live. Wow. So, um, a, and it, did you it say a budget? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Erica. Did you say a budgeting issue? 92%? Was it budgeting? Is that the word a, you used? Oh, that they have fragile social networks. So fragile they don't social have networks. A, okay. Yeah, they don't have a social system that, you know, somebody can step in for them. And this really shows up in that about 40% of youth experiencing homelessness are LGBTQ, which is a mm-hmm. disproportionate representation to the general population. And we also know that racism and systems of inequality play an enormous role Um, About 77% of the youth that we serve are people of color, and there's especially disproportionate representation of black youth. So this also plays out in some of the systems of inequality that, you know, are also consistent with race and identity disproportionality. And Mm -hmm. the number of youth who've been in the juvenile justice system, the child welfare system, over 30% of the youth we see were previously in foster care. Um, So it really is those confluence of factors. It sure is. And to be clear, when you use the word youth, um, we are talking about the population that you find yourself serving. So you're, you are still calling youth that 23, 24, 25-year-old in that same category. Am I correct? Yeah, we, we call them transition-aged youth because I think, you know, there's an increasing number of youth in that range or young people in that range who, you know, rely on their family for support. And so so these are young people who, you know, by legal standards are adults, but we know that that they really still need that that level of support. Oh, I appreciate the clarification. That that that's that's good for me to know. Um I I'm still going back to what you said just a few moments ago about 10% of your staff coming back to help. That is just amazing. So let's talk about what some of the solutions are for youth um, homelessness. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, I think the number one solution is that we need to be preventing homelessness. Our sector can't house people as fast as they're falling into homelessness, so we really need to cut off that pipeline. Um, And we really need folks to understand that the unhoused community is already our neighbors. They're already in our backyard. Um, So when folks say they don't want homeless services or housing in their backyard, I think it's really about helping reframe that, that, you know, we want people to be part of our neighborhood and we want to see them housed. And so, you know, a lot of that can be around advocacy, you know, educating people um, and, you know, supporting services and housing that will ultimately end youth homelessness. It's interesting. I you used a term that I hear being interjected quite frequently on this subject. So I'd like to ask you your opinion about that. We've we've talked about the term homelessness, but we've also I also just heard you use the word unhoused. Do you have a preference to which word you use in regards to your youth? Yeah, you know, that's interesting because we actually call our youth members because we feel like they're members of our community. But I think the reason that there's been a shift in the way language is used is to 
identify homelessness as a circumstance and, a, and an experience, but to, we're not defining a person. So somebody is unhoused or they're un experiencing homelessness, but that does not mean they're a homeless person. Um, and that's been the language that's been used in the past. And, you know, because of how stigmatized um, folks who are unhoused have been, we really want to uplift and empower and let them know that there's, um, you know, life beyond this and that we see that for them. So uh, I think it is, you know, language matters. And, you know, I think it helps, uh, you know, let people feel seen as people. And so when you use the word unhoused and you're calling your, your youth members, um, are you mm -hmm. saying, uh, can can you just, re I, 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 that was a lot for me to understand. And I, I, if you wouldn't mind, could you just, um, briefly just explain one versus the other one more time so that I really understand why we would use the word unhoused, one, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, I think that we tend to use them interchangeably. Um, I think it's just different ways to refer to, you know, the life circumstance and the living circumstance of the individual. I see. I, I just, I think that however we can refer to your members in the most positive light in the most respectful way is what we would what I would like to do so uh, hearing yeah. you use the word members I like and they are perhaps currently unhoused but that's not the goal so what yeah. What barriers um, are the youth facing right now in this in their existing experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that most of the systems that we see have been designed for adults um, in terms of addressing homelessness. And you know, I think of homelessness as like the ER. So there are lots of reasons that people end up in the ER. And if we treat everybody for a heart attack, we're going to lose people. And so it is really important to have youth-specific services. And so I do think that expecting youth to access um, services in an environment that's primarily for adults is a barrier. Youth are also extremely vulnerable to violence, victimization, criminalization, exploitation, the longer they go unhoused. And there was a recent study that followed a sample of youth experiencing homelessness and found that at two years, 100% of them had experienced at least one of those. So, you know, we're working with folks who have come into homelessness as a result of trauma and are experiencing the re-traumatization re or the traumatization of being homeless. Um, and that naturally affects people's mental health, emotional health, physical health and can result in maladaptive coping mechanisms. So for us, the clock is really ticking uh, to get youth into housing, to get them sheltered, um, and equally, if not more important, to cut off the pipeline and prevent homelessness. Right. That's, therein lies part of the problem, huh? Especially, I don't know if this is true, so you correct me, especially if you live in an environment where the weather is more conducive to what, people in the east coast might be dealing with where it's frigid and there's snow where we have a more temperate um um environment weather-wise that that draws people oftentimes out to this west coast is does that play a part in this as far as the weather you know I think the biggest part that the weather plays is that the East Coast has right to shelter, which means that the cities are required to uh, ensure that there is enough shelter for everybody to be indoors. But our homeless count has shown that the vast, vast majority of folks who are unhoused have lived in Los Angeles for at least 10 years um, and oh. prior to being homeless. So. I do think that, you know, there's definitely more visible homelessness, um, you know, because we don't have enough shelter for folks. That's uh, – thank you for explaining that to me. I, I did not know that. that. That's very interesting. So, obviously, there are a lot of challenges. I mean, clearly, there are a lot of challenges. So, I, we are going to talk about solutions and success because we do need to we do need to keep this – um, on the positive of what it is you're doing, but what are some of the challenges in addressing these these 
unhoused homeless youth. What what are some of the challenges that you're finding? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there is, um, you know, a need to have better systems for uh, preventing homelessness and to providing support to folks once they've become unhoused. But I think a big challenge is the lack of public goodwill. And, you know, people are tired of seeing homelessness. They feel like nothing is being done. And I think that the reality is that lots and lots of life-saving hard work is being done. It just can't keep pace with the inflow. Um, And then we also see really heavy restrictions on funding. So, uh, you know, we're very limited in what we can provide, and there's aspects of our work that are not funded. And so we have to, you know, work twice as hard to be able to grow to meet the need. Um, And then, as I mentioned, you know, the folks that are saying not in my backyard um, are pushing back on providers and, you know, trying to block our efforts to house people and provide supportive services. And, Look, I get it. Trust me, we're all t- tired of this crisis. Um, and but the approach is that we have to, you know, get involved in housing people and not just shuffling them around the city um, because that doesn't make it better. So, I think that the other piece that I sort of had mentioned was that youth are also struggling because they have not had positive relationships with adults. So they're often very mistrustful. Um, of adults individually and especially systems that have failed them. So this is why SPI has been really intentional about who we're hiring and how it reflects the population we serve. Um, In addition to the 10% that are former youth members, uh, a third of our staff have lived experience of homelessness. And I think that when youth can see that, um, it gives them hope and it gives them, you know, a realization that there's life beyond this. And, you know, sometimes it helps in terms of their being able to build trust, which can be challenging. Um, But it's so crucial because there's so much research that supports how one loving, caring, supportive adult is really all youth need to thrive. And it doesn't have to be a parent. It can be a family member, a teacher, a mentor, and that's what we try to strive to be at SPY. I was just thinking about your under 18-year-old youth being homeless, unhoused. Does that mean they don't go to school? Yeah, a a lot of young people don't, um, you know, without, you know, the support of adults. I think we look at people's hierarchy of needs and when people, you know, have to stay awake at night to keep safe, when they're trying to figure out what their next meal is, it's very hard, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and especially for youth who are not receiving enough, um, you know, nourishment and nutrition to focus on school. So people are focused on their survival, which makes it really hard, um, you know, to focus on, you know, other aspects of their life. Wow, that's really something. Um, I'm sure that there are misconceptions about about your your youth population um, because you know I kind of have this word term I always use: you don't know what you don't know, and so you might mm-hmm. have a an idea of what you think is a reality when in reality you may not really have it correctly. So what are some of those misconceptions that you'd like people, what would you like to address about that? I think that a lot of people see cases of homelessness as a failing of the individual as opposed to the deep systems failings. And I would say that that's first and foremost. Um, People who are unhoused sometimes get painted as not wanting to work. And because we believe in data-driven programming, uh, we do annual surveys of our youth that we serve and, you know, evaluation of our programs. And so in our last survey that we did in 2021, what we found is that the number one thing that youth said they needed, even above housing, was employment. So those are the kinds of, you know, misconceptions that I think make people, you know, less willing to help. Um, Another one is that everyone's heard the generalization that, you know, everybody who's homeless has mental health or substance use issues. And, you know, of course, that's true of some, but that's less than half. Um, And, you know, if you have these really challenging life circumstances, sometimes people, um, you know, just don't realize that we need, you know, support and wrapping our arms around people to address them. And, you know, like in general population, a person can have a mental health or substance use issue and be fine if they have resources and people to support them and help them. So I think that those are some things that that really stand out to me. Yeah, and, and, you know, 
frankly, that that might I, I suppose that is much more relevant when we're speaking about youth as well. So um, probably some of these um, things you're talking about could really be applied to somebody that's 30 as well. Um, that mm-hmm. if they just are lacking um, the support um, and they've been traumatized for so long, they just don't really know how to dig out. Um, mm-hmm. Has it has? I would imagine, but I would like to know how has COVID. I mean, we know how it's affected all of us. There isn't anybody listening to this that hasn't had an, an impact in some way in their lives. But that doesn't mean that you can't run your hot water and put gas in your car and drive to the market or walk to the market. So how has COVID impacted spies' work? Yeah, I think you made a really good point there, that when you think about, you know, how people had to shelter at home, you can't shelter at home if you don't have a home. You can't wash your hands frequently if you don't have access to water. Um, A lot of places were not able to continue to provide food and meals. And so, you know, all these things got exacerbated. Um, A lot of young folks, you know, used the facilities at a Starbucks or a restaurant. And with restaurants and things closed, they no no longer had access to restrooms. Um, A lot of public restrooms were closed. But I think SPY really experienced the toll of COVID in lots of different ways, um, especially having frontline workers. Uh, You know, naturally, everybody experienced intense stress uh, in their personal lives, and that was compounded by, you know, people having to worry about their personal safety and the the safety of their families um, if they were to contract COVID. But I really feel like we went above and beyond to try to keep our youth and our staff safe. Um, and we did a lot of work to keep people connected. Uh, for everyone's safety, we had asked our youth who were in residential programs to remain at their sites, and we brought services to them. Um, so we wanted to make sure that anything that they would have accessed at our drop-in center, they still would have access to. And public health, uh, required us to reduce our capacity. So, you know, reducing the number of people on site and reducing the number of young people who could be in our shelter. Um, But also a lot of young folks were scattered to different hotels, which, you know, I think in many ways kept folks safe, but it made it much harder for us to remain connected to them. And, you know, there were youth that went back to their original place of residence, which while less desirable than the streets in non-COVID times during the pandemic became more desirable place to reside than maybe a congregate setting. But I think that that tells us that, you know, on the horizon, there are young folks that are going to have experienced adverse adverse effects of having remained in those settings. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's been frustrating to not be able to serve as many people, um, you know, in the same space. But I think that, you know, we all recognize, again, that, you know, it's a matter of survival at this time. And, you know, we'll see what, you know, the count of individuals holds. Um, The annual homeless count is coming up in February. And, you know, for all the different reasons, uh, it's hard to imagine that the situation has gotten better. Right. You know, we didn't really talk, and and I don't know if, if you're going to get to that, so if you are just, Tell me you are going to get to that. But we really didn't talk a lot about the actual programs that you provide. You just mentioned uh, residential housing or drop-in centers. So do you are some of these youth in a residential environment that you have provided for them? Yeah, so we have a type of shelter called bridge housing. So it's slightly longer term shelter than emergency shelter. We work to connect youth to permanent housing and work with them to increase their income. And hopefully it's only a three month requirement, but we do reevaluate at three months if they're, you know, stable enough to move on. Um, We also have what's called transitional housing. So this is more like uh, regular, you know, shared living for youth who are either, we have one for unaccompanied youth and then we have one for youth who are pregnant and parenting. And that housing is made available to youth for 18 months uh, while we're working with them, again, to increase income. 
they are able to stay up to three years and really exciting that in the next two years we are going to be building permanent housing so on our flagship site we're going to be building a uh, 40 unit building with a drop-in center on the ground floor so really exciting wow wow well i know we're going to be talking about the future I'll, i'll let you say more about that but in the the bridge housing where they can be there for three months is that did I understand that correctly? We 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 reevaluate them at three months. The goal Are is you, three months, but you know ultimately we don't want them to go back to homelessness. So you know if folks need a little more time, we work with them. But are are the the young people that you're describing in that three months and then reevaluated? Are they are they? Um, the, the the under eighteen year olds as well, or do, are they are they all eighteen and above? Those youth are all eighteen and above. Um, okay. There is a certain type of shelter for youth that are under eighteen, but ultimately it's uh, a temporary ninety days to reconnect them with an adult. And by reconnecting them to an adult, does that mean a family member? Does that mean somebody that says, I'm raising my hand and I will be that adult? Who is that adult in that person's life 90 days later? Yeah, I think that it starts with looking at whether there's a parent that can be involved, um, whether there can be mediation or something to resolve the home situation. Mm -hmm. Um, For some youth, if they are in the child welfare system, they are – uh, reconnected to their original placement. Uh, sometimes it's a family member who, with the permission of the parent, can be a guardian. Um, but it just kind of depends on the circumstance that the youth was in prior. Does the uh, um, courts get involved in this? Yeah, I think it depends at the inflection point, but especially mm-hmm. youth who are already involved in the child welfare system. They are considered in the purview of, um, you know, the county, and so mm-hmm. it, it does have court involvement. Um, and it also, you know, has court involvement when parents uh, refuse to allow youth to return. So we do have youth that leave their homes of their own decision, and we do have youth also whose family has told them that they're not able to return. So does do you work... Matt, I don't know if you pers- if your organization does do this, but do you work with the foster care system then to help these young people get into foster care while they're, you know, still minors? We have a responsibility to ensure that youth who whose family is unable to care for them are connected to the child welfare system. But we also know that the child welfare system has a long way to go to meet youth sure. needs. So, you know, because of our, you know, obligation to do that, we do that. But we also, you know, really hope to find other supportive solutions for youth wherever we can. I'm sure. So what? I mean, it's what an what an enormous. My, I mean, my hands are out wide. What an enormous responsibility that you face on a on a regular basis and you mentioned how your workforce you know was depleted like a lot of workforce and yet your needs increased tremendously so what role does spy play in the community yeah well you know first and foremost we're a safe place for you to go when they have nowhere else to go um, we're the first and largest youth homeless service provider in West LA, and we're one of the largest in the city. Uh, we're a leader in advocacy and education for the community, um, and I think I see us really as a connector um, to bring, you know, our unhoused community, our housed community, service providers, really all together um, around an issue that affects us all. So I think that you know we are we play a role in lots of different ways in the community. Yeah, I'm sure you do. What are your what are your plans? You 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 just alluded to something that sounded so remarkably exciting um about your building. So what, that might be just one of many plans. So what what are sort of your strategic plans for the next year or or two or three? Yeah. 
So we just completed our three-year strategic plan, um, and it's really focused on increasing housing, different types of housing, um, robust wraparound supportive services. I think our goal across the board is really to rise to meet the need, and because the need is growing, we as an organization are growing too. Um, you know, the pandemic has really exacerbated the mental health crisis, especially for young people, and that's another area in which we want to continue to grow and have more robust services. Um, another part of our strategic plan is around DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. So both looking at ourselves internally and how we can strengthen our, um, our work there, and then externally taking on an active role in addressing systems of inequity in our community. Um, another part of our strategic plan is to invest in the capacity of our staff. Uh, you know, again, we know that their resilience has been depleted by the pandemic. You know, this work is some of the hardest in non-COVID times. And, you know, especially now, you know, we know our team needs, you know, again, really invested in, you know, providing clinical supervision, um, training, wellness, uh, you know, and, and making sure that folks feel valued. And, and I think that contributes to them doing their best work. Um, and then Maverick. our last, uh, you know, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I, I interrupted you because I think you're about to talk about the housing perhaps. Go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say that, you know, to your question about community engagement, um, that's yes. another one of our strategic imperatives, uh, just because we know that we need everybody in to address homelessness. I would agree. Do, do you, um, are you involved in the Chamber of Commerce? Um, we have had touch points with lots of different entities. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know that we've been as involved in the Chamber of Commerce, but, you know, have definitely mm -hmm. been connected. You know, that was part of, uh, you know, the group that I had connected with when I first started at SPY. Um, and, again, I think that that's really, you know, bringing people together across different Absolutely. sectors um, to find a solution. I would agree with you. In fact, I think that sometimes people just don't know how to do that? Could you could you tell us a little bit more? Because I, I I would like to know a little bit more about this this um, building that you are planning on constructing. What what's the situation with that? Yeah. So the building um, is our first building that we have constructed. Um, the other places that we house folks are uh, you know existing houses in the community. We have a flagship site that originally housed our drop-in center. And uh, in October, we relocated to a new site so that we could continue to provide those services. And that location will continue beyond the building itself. But, mm -hmm. you know, in working with um, our partner, Venice Community Housing, we are constructing a uh, housing that has, you know, dedicated spaces for use. Um, the, the ground floor has a drop-in center that where we'll continue to provide meals and showers, uh, counseling, education, employment, uh, so that we can continue to reach youth in a, you know, robust way. Um, but I think that it's really important because that that being able to have permanent housing, that's the ultimate objective for all the young people we serve. And so it's really exciting to be able to provide that next level housing in the future. I bet. I'm just, I'm looking, Eric, I'm looking at your website right now, and there's a lot of really interesting things that I thought maybe you could talk about. I'm looking at your page called Healing Arts, the Healing Arts Program. Can you talk a little bit about what you do in that program? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that program is a really important touch point for youth because it gives youth an opportunity to come in and connect with our team in an expressive manner that can be therapeutic. So that can be painting, music, journaling, um, creative writing, and it's kind of an opportunity for youth to, you know, have some of that self-expression and to begin to, you know, build relationships in a way that aren't so focused on issues that are, um, you know, can be really painful. And our healing arts program connects to our community garden program where young people can have paid internships, learn about horticulture, and then the overarching umbrella for that is our social enterprise. So we, um, you know, help youth 
market the art that they're creating, um, you know, help them, you know, set up uh, farm stands, et cetera, so that they can earn some income uh, through that program. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I noticed also what's mentioned here, um, besides all the things you did, you also mentioned is that you have a component called yoga and mindfulness, which, you know, I know the value of that personally. I know what it takes to learn how to be mindful, to calm down. I mean, I would imagine that that would be very therapeutic for young people that are feeling so anxious. And they don't... They don't even know that there is something called yoga movement, which I think is just mm-hmm. phenomenal, Tai Chi, all of that. I, I, I love that. And, uh, gosh, I'm just your, – your website is continuing to give me goosebumps. You are associated <laughs> with, UCLA, with UCLA Healing's Art Program? Wow. With yeah, the, we, in music? we have – yeah, we have a number of really incredible partners that we work with. And, you know, I think that we really want to tap into the expertise, um, you know, for, for all these different subject matter experts. So um, UCLA has been a partner for us. And, you know, we have a, um, you know, program that does outreach to young folks that are connected to college campuses. So, um, you know, oh, we know that gosh. there's a lot of unhoused young folks and, you know, who maybe reside in their cars and attend school by day. So it is really important for our demographic to be connected to, to schools. I'm looking at your street outreach page right now, and I see where you, where you do go out into the community. For those people that are listening, that are close enough to assist, do you accept donations for hygiene packs and socks and things like that um, and snacks? Do, can people bring that to you? Yes, we absolutely accept donations of goods. Um, and there's information on our webpage about how to donate. Um, and, you know, being able to provide those basic needs resources out in the community is a key component of our outreach because it gives us an opportunity to start to have conversations, to build trust with the community. And we also have um, historically had volunteer opportunities for people to be part of the street outreach. And I think that's a really you know, instructive way for people to get to know the individuals. And I think that, you know, when you hear the stories, when you build these relationships, you see the people who are experiencing this in a different way. Um, some of this stuff has been hard to do during the pandemic and, you know, really wanting to keep people safe. So we haven't been able sure. to bring as many people along with that. But um, hopefully as things get safer, we'll be able to resume having volunteer help with that. Oh, that would be great because right now um, the the garden, you don't have volunteers that are there helping you with that at this point. We actually do group volunteering Ooh. right now at the garden. So, um, nice. you know, sometimes people want to do, yeah, yeah. So people sometimes want to do a group of, um, you know, their work colleagues or their church or, yeah. um, you know, their their network. And so we definitely feel like that's a really good touch point and it's, it's a safe opportunity for people to get involved. Wow. So when you, I've, I've brought up so many, I can see why you must love what you do because the impact is enormous. So just thinking back your career, just your over overall career, do you have a favorite memory from your career? That's like, but this is this is where this is what touches my heart. Do you have a memory like that you'd like to sh- to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's lots of memories. I think oh, that gosh. there's I have memories of you know different circumstances that really made me feel compelled to do this work. But mm-hmm. you know, I have to say that the day I was offered my role at Spy, you know, was just enormous for me, and I was over the moon and. You know, I really believe that the homeless services sector has the responsibility to do quality work, and so it was really important for me to work for an organization that I knew was innovative and raising the bar, and I'd had such tremendous regard for SPY even before I applied because of, you know, 
having worked with them previously. And, you know, I just couldn't have asked for a more meaningful opportunity to serve, you know, what really is the most vulnerable population, um, you know, during this crisis and at a time in history when it's needed the most. So I really mm-hmm. think that Leading Sky has been the most purposeful moment in my career. I can I can see I can see why you would say that. I'm looking at another program that I suspect may be on hold, but I don't know. So because as as people are looking at your page as I am as we're speaking, they might want to ask about this. So I will ask. I see you have something called Host Home Program. Is that currently sort of on hiatus at this point? You know, our host host home program is still happening. It has definitely been harder uh, to recruit hosts during the pandemic, but this is another Mm -hmm. really incredible way in which people can be involved. Um, And sometimes we have our hosts come and speak about their experience. We have some of the youth who've gone through that program now as part of our team. And what it really does is it pairs folks who maybe have an extra bedroom in their house, maybe their kids have gone off to college, maybe they've converted an office, and, you know, we help provide a stipend for them to take a young person in their home. And, you know, it's really a matching process. You know, we want people to feel good about the young person. We want the young person to feel good about, you know, the place that they're going. Our team continues to provide support, is in really strong communication. Uh, we provide training to the host, and, you know, it's been really incredible. And, you know, it was, I was hearing a story recently about somebody saying, you know, could I just keep this person here indefinitely, like even beyond the length of the program? And, wow. you know, that's so uplifting that somebody, you know, mm-hmm. this, this became part of their family in that period of time, this person in their home. And, um, you know, it was just such a perfect match. And, you know, we were so excited for this young person and then also just really moved that, that somebody had opened their heart. And, um, you know, and again, that's sort of back to, like, when you see the person, when you get to hear the stories, you realize, you know, that there's just really incredible, brilliant resilience um, in the young people we serve. Yes. You know, it made, you made me think of something that you um, um, shared at our um Rotary meeting that I also put on my blog when I was talking about you joining me, and there is an incredible, heartfelt three-minute YouTube video that I really I will make sure that I repost that on my on my page so that people can go back and and watch that because boy it sure does it sure provides hope and and that sort of leads me to my next question which is you know how can people get involved maybe they maybe they don't live here but maybe there's another way that they could help you so how can how can people who want to get involved get involved yeah that's a really great question and you know i think we know that all across the the country homelessness is a serious issue um And I really think there's innumerable ways, but, you know, as a first starting place, I think being part of destigmatizing homelessness and, you know, learning the facts, learning the solutions and being an advocate, um, you know, for correcting misinformation and educating people. Um, Of course, you know, housing and homeless services support in your community that, you know, we can't just designate certain areas for people who are unhoused we really need to ensure that there's affordable housing and you know in LA in particular you know we're starting to see how we need to build up we're we're um have been you know historically a very like horizontal um single family home city and you know we just have to to get behind that there has to be enough housing stock for people um you know of course we we love volunteers at SPY. Um, we're an organization that started as a team of volunteers who were just giving out um, hygiene packs and meals from the trunks of their car to youth, um, you know, by the beach and on the boardwalk. And, you know, another incredible volunteer opportunity is to be part of our mentorship program um, and to be that caring adult that really could change a youth's life. And, you know, even things like following us on social media, reposting Mm -hmm. our posts to your network so folks can learn about homelessness. And, you know, as you mentioned, we accept donations of goods, monetary donations, um, and, again, more information about all that on our website. Um, I'm on your website. I keep saying that, but that's because it's so phenomenal. 
Where Where is the men, mentorship part? Is that under the volunteer, learn about our volunteer opportunities? Is that where mentorship shows up? And yeah, maybe I, I can believe just... that there's information. There's information on there, um, and there's a couple okay. different contact numbers, too, so folks can okay. contact emails. Um, so anybody Perfect. who wants more information, definitely connect with our volunteer coordinators, and they can you know, help people plug in. I think that's terrific. And I'm looking at you have a clothing um closet. Are the are the clothes yeah. that are donated to you are they can they be gently used or they, or or do you really have to um just accept um new clothes? Yeah, prior to the pandemic when we could have more volunteers on site to help, you know, weed out clothes that maybe weren't so gently used or um you know that maybe were soiled or things like that, we did accept uh, used clothing. But because we've had to reduce our staffing and volunteers on site, we have not been able to accept used clothing, though I assume we will in the future. But the clothing closet is an example of one of the volunteer opportunities. And one of our incredible board members um, volunteers weekly in the clothing closet. And I think that it's really – it just, you know, it builds a connection to the work. It, you know, for young people, we have a lot of artists, and it's an opportunity for them to express themselves. And, you know, maybe for youth who didn't identify with the gender they were assigned at birth, they get to be affirmed and pick their clothing and look how they want. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think that just things like that that you might not normally think about can be really impactful. Yeah, you know what, and I want to tell you, under longer-term opportunities, is where you mention mentorship, education and employment, and host home programs. So it is listed there. Mm-hmm. You also have a matching funds program. You know, if if you're listening and you have a, a couple extra bucks, or perhaps you have a charitable contribution um, within your within your financial plan, you know, consider a helping spy um, because you you will make a difference. Um, and thinking about just your life in general, because this has been such a pleasure, I look forward to the time when you and I are facing each other face-to-face. Yeah. I intend to come and visit you and actually walk around SPY and get a sense of this physically. But what, knowing what you know today, um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Yeah, and thank you for saying that. And we we do welcome folks to come visit us. Um, And to your question about um, advice to my younger self, Mm -hmm. I guess I would say that thinking outside the box is a good skill for anyone, everyone to have. And I think especially in addressing what feels like an intractable issue sometimes, you know, this, this condition of homelessness, Um, what I've learned over the years is that you're more effective when you make time for headspace. So taking time to do hobbies, to do something completely unrelated to your work so that you maintain your resilience, um, so that you can show up in full, and so that you can look at problems with fresh eyes. Because I firmly believe that there's always more than one way to solve a problem, and you can't see that if you're just staring down a tunnel. You really have to step back and see the big picture. I love that, and I think that that's enormously important advice that we could all relate to, what you just said. We do need to make time for headspace. If you are very committed to the things that you do, and I am, sometimes I don't do that. And so my yoga class on Tuesday is as important as doing a podcast every Monday. I really make it my my firm conviction to do that for my headspace and my time. Yeah. And um I I I really um appreciate you saying that because you do have a very demanding role in what you do and you don't just report to one segment and for you to manage the amount of um volunteers, staff, and your 18 to 20 or your your uh, 12 to 25 year olds. That's a lot. So I'm I'm really happy to hear that you take that time. So in these yeah. last when these remaining uh, moments that we have, 
What do you want the listeners to take away from our conversation today? Yeah, I mean, I think the the big takeaway is that there's a role for everyone to play in ways big and small, and we really need everybody's help to end youth homelessness. And I just really feel that as adults, we owe that to young people in our society. Um, You know, I really believe that homelessness is a societal problem. I don't think it's reflective of any one individual, but I think especially young people, um, had had there been an adult that could step in for them, they would not be in the circumstance that they're in. So, um, you know, definitely feel like learn more, um, you know, check out our website, reach out, um, you know, come visit us, come for a tour, and, uh, you know, help be an advocate, help, uh, you know, contribute to your local service providers, support housing and services in your community, and um, just really continue to champion this issue. And, you know, I I had mentioned to you that a a good friend of mine that lives in San Diego wanted to know if there was was a spy location, safe place for youth there. And in the reality, no, currently there's not. But perhaps you are listening and you are saying, but I wonder what is in my community. I don't even live in California. I live on the East Coast. I live in Maine. The weather here has been very challenging. But that doesn't mean that we have unhoused youth. So what could I do as I'm listening to this? What could I do? What is available in my community that would allow me to feel motivated by listening to this show today that could help me do something as you would as you said earlier paying it forward helping somebody be recognizing that this is a problem but it's not a problem without the solutions a problem is just a problem where do we go from mm-hmm. there where where do we take the problem to the next level you do need to identify if there is a problem there's no solution to a non-problem so you have to identify what that problem is you know and then what can you do i mean this is how my friend's whole program started erica (coughs) this young this young boy sitting in a car driving off the freeway Mm -hmm. somebody standing with a sign saying i'm hungry and mm-hmm. the kid and Cy looked at Russ and said, Dad, we we need to get him some food. This is a yeah. nine-year-old. We need to find a place to get him some food. That is how Share Hope USA started. I've learned mm-hmm. it's a great idea to keep packages of socks in your car. Your, your food isn't going to last forever in your car if you want to hand somebody some food. But if somebody is standing with a sign or you walk by a homeless youth or a homeless person, especially in the wintertime, and you just hand them a package of socks out your window, imagine. I mean, there are things that people can do. And for those of you that live in this area where where Erica and I both live on this side of, of 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 town, and you want to get involved, there are ways to do so. It can be financial. It can be a mentor. It can be so many things. And when you go to the About page on that website, Safe Place for Youth, and you see what's 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 there, you'll be able to learn just precisely all that that you have to offer. Bless Allison Hurst that she she did this. She wasn't I, she wasn't. Uh, what's Allison's background? She's not from the states originally, is she? No, Allison is from England, and she um, you know transitioned out of her role uh, to return home. Um, but yeah, her background wasn't in nonprofit or homeless services. She was just absolutely horrified that you know youth hurt kids age were unhoused and you know that's an example of how you know you don't necessarily have to have a social work background to get involved and you know Mm -hmm. there there's lots of ways in person and virtually that people can help 
And you know that, oh, and I appreciate you saying that virtually because that might be that way where someone on a Zoom call perhaps can get connected to a youth. Um, I I hadn't even thought about that, but I think that that's Mm -hmm. terrific. And and like I said, there are all kinds of uh, programs that are listed on your on your website and perhaps you've got something that you can contribute to these young people that are really truly in need and everybody wins even if it's just a Mm -hmm. one-time experience or it leads to something longer like you said where it's like they it's like well we would really kind of like this person to stay with us we're seeing a change i i or this person now wants to give back and says, I know what I got from the art program. I know what I got from XYZ. I'm I'm actually in school now. I want to further my education. I want to heal yeah. my wounds. And I yeah. think that that's exactly what you do, Erica. And I think SPY is very fortunate to have you in their leadership role. I'm glad that um, it was very important to you to have that dream come true. And I just want to thank you so very much for for making this Monday so special. I knew you would. I was looking forward to the show (laughs) for quite some time because I think what you're doing is so vital. So thank you so very much for for being part of this. I'm grateful. Thank you. Okay, everybody. really appreciate it. You're welcome. The, the opportunity. You're you're so very welcome. So go out there, everybody. Just do one thing, just maybe one small thing, and tune in next week because you know I'll be here again with my guest. Thank you so very much for listening, and be well. Bye for now. <laughs>